They were also my pastors for a number of years uh, in, in an interesting part in my, in my walk with the Lord where I was trying to understand what it looked like to follow God by His Spirit. And one of the things that has been forever embedded in me from these two is two things. One, uh, to me, Jeff was like the Michael Jordan of preaching. I kid you not, I was sitting there, I'd, I'd probably never public spoken in my life, and I was sitting up there, I'm like, this is amazing, and just like such spirit-filled, inspirational preaching that literally, Jeff, I've never told you this before, but it was an inspiration for me to like want to do that, because I saw the way that you communicated and influenced lives around you by your preaching, and so it was one of those things that like a, a fire started burning in me, like, man, one day, you know, like I can do that. So feel bad for me, my Michael Jordan is, is like watching me play basketball right now, <laughs> so feel bad. And then for both Jeff and Annette, the way that you guys laid down your life to run that vineyard church was just totally amazing. I mean, you, it was one of the, when Suki and I took over this church, we led it, and for me, not for Suki, because she's holier than this, but for me, I was like, I don't want to be doing this. Like, I don't want to be pastoring this church right now, but the call of God was so strong and I know that there was moments for you guys where things were really tough to run that church. And it may not have been in that place, but the way that you guys surrendered your lives and ran that church, it was obvious to the members at the time, and it really blessed me and kind of taught me how to follow Jesus in that way. So thank you guys. I'm so honored that you're here, and uh, I hope you feel honored to be here. This is part of the fruits of your labor. All right, with that, thank you for indulging me in my special moment with my friends. Matthew chapter 12, let's read from verse 15. Uh, for those of you who are new, we've been cruising through the book of Matthew, and uh, we find ourselves in chapter 12 here. So we're going to go from 15, not quite all the way to the end, but we also have it up here on the screen, which is new and fancy. So should, should, should you have forgotten your Bible... There's a massive amount of technology going up here over my right shoulder. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. So the aware of this that he's talking about before I launch in is that he healed somebody on the Sabbath, and these religious leaders at the time, the people that were running the primary Jewish uh, sect, the primary Jewish religion at the time, the, these dudes called the Pharisees, were not happy with Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. They had this strong perspective that you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day, and that included healing people. Um, but more so, they were probably concerned because they were in a power struggle. These were the people that had the minds and the hearts of the people. They were seen as the religious leaders, the authorities, and Jesus was coming on the scene and establishing something that looked very different, and they were threatened. And so, literally, he heals a guy's hand on the Sabbath, and the next verse says that they, they're seeking to kill him. Kind of a strange response, but that's what the word says. So, aware of this, that's what he's referring to, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen— the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will declare justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry, cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. 
In his name, the nations will put their hope. I love that verse. In, the nation, in, the, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Amen. I'm going to keep going. Then they brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is, not, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if the Spirit of God that— I, but if by the Spirit of God I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can one enter into a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the one to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For from the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of, a good, uh, out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings, good things, uh, brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Oftentimes, I find myself uh, in Scripture looking for the words of Jesus explicitly to be teaching me theology and the words of, you know, other parts of the Scripture. Um, as I read this passage, I was struck by the amount of theology that's contained in the actions of Jesus. And I think that when you start to take this lens, it changes the way you look at, the, at how Jesus lived his life. But Jesus himself, in his actions and his words, are perfect theology. There's no difference with him in his actions and his words. They're all completely in line, and they completely reinforce what he believes to be true about the world. And so I wanted to call out a few of these things and go through this verse. And what my aim is today is to set some cornerstone theological pieces for you. Because I believe in this passage, what Jesus does is he sets out a worldview. It's very clear how Jesus sees the world from a few key elements of this. And I believe it can challenge us and align our thinking to his. The first one is uh, he goes and this, this large crowd follows him and heals everyone who's ill. All of these sick people start to come to him, and he heals every single one of them. Later in the passage, he casts a devil out of somebody. And so there's, a, there's demonic oppression that's happening to this individual, and Jesus comes and sets free that person in that, in that way too. 
I think oftentimes the vileness of sickness gets lost on us because it's so rampant in our world. And I think what this passage tells us and the way that Jesus lived his whole life was that he was utterly disgusted by sickness. That sickness was never something that was meant to enter into his world. That he never created it when he put the the tree of life right there. He never created it for there to be sickness in this world. Mental, physical, otherwise. And in the same way, it's so easy for us to make a, a clear line in the sand when we see demonic oppression and we see Jesus cast out a devil, we need to make that same clear line in the sand with sickness. And I think it's easier for us to dabble with sickness. We'd never do that with demonic oppression, saying like, oh yeah, maybe Jesus is like kind of cool with demonic oppression, and maybe he kind of like, you know, ordains it and sends it to accomplish his will and stuff like that. We would never do that with demonic oppression. And in the same passage, we see him getting rid of a devil out of somebody and saying, the strong man owned this territory, but no longer. I come on the scene, and I take authority over that, and I get it out of the body. But we don't apply that same kind of thing to the sickness. And when I started to learn about this, I think it's a, a gift that, that I'm specifically supposed to go after, that I'm not walking in the level that I want to. But I can, I can barely enter a hospital now, because I utterly despise sickness. I hate it. I hate what it does to people, and I hate what it represents in the world. Yesterday, we were at Williams Sonoma, and we were checking out some— What happened? I know, good, good sequitur, right? So, demonic oppression, Williams Sonoma. <laughs> it just fits. We were looking at pots and pans and stuff, and the, and the woman comes over to help us, and it's this, like, lovely woman with, like, this really joyful spirit— but she's got this thing where she's hunched over like this, and she can't, she can't lift her head. And so she's trying to help us, and she's kind of like leaning back and looking at us, you know, like this. And I'm sitting there looking at this beautiful woman, and I'm just like, this is not God. This is not the Lord. And so Suki and I just start, you know, we started asking her like, hey, you know, I couldn't help but notice that you're kind of stooped over what happened. And she started sharing us that just four years ago, no trauma, no car accident, nothing happened. But she just felt like all of a sudden her spine locked up, and the doctors have no answers for her whatsoever. That she's been to the doctors, she's seen all the different specialists, and they just have no answers for her. And I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to explain to this woman what's in this passage, which is doctors have physical answers. And not everything that we experience in this world has physical roots. That there's spiritual things that cause spiritual manifest, physical manifestations, and this is not what God would have for you. And so we, you know, right in the middle of William's Sonoma, we prayed over her and blessed her, and, you know, she felt loved. She did not go away healed. And I was so angry. I was so angry. I was praying about it this morning. I was just like, God, I know your spirit is alive in the world. I know your spirit is living through me. I know you heal. You did it a bunch in our retreat. Like, what is going on here? But in that anger, what I didn't do was question whether God wanted to heal that wonderful woman. In the same way, if I saw someone demonized, I looked at that sickness and I was like, that is not the will of God for this woman. And I think when you look at the life of Jesus— 
somebody walking in the fullness of the power of the Spirit, we see the will of God when he comes into a town and he heals all who were ill. Is there a place in the Bible where someone sick comes to Jesus for healing and doesn't get it? I don't think so. We cannot tolerate this anymore. There needs to be some kind of fire that starts to burn in his people that goes, this is not the will of God and it's not okay that people can come to us for prayer and not walk away healed. Because the love of God on display is what made Jesus' ministry so powerful. Can you imagine if he just preached good sermons but he didn't do all of these things of power? Then his, his display of the theology or the, the truth of God would have been so one-dimensional, but instead he comes and he preaches and says, I'm king, and then on the, in the next moment he says, and what it looks like for me to be king is you get released from oppression, you get released from oppression, you get released from oppression, and the will of God goes on display for everyone who gets near him. And there needs to be a fire that burns with us that just says, it wasn't okay with Jesus, and it can't be okay with us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. When we come down to the bottom, we see this interesting passage where a demon-possessed man comes to him who's both blind and mute. It looks like the, the spiritual is manifesting also in the physical here with a blind and mute individual. Jesus comes, and he heals him. He can both talk and see. Again, the people are astonished, and they say, could this be the Messiah? When the Pharisees hear this, they start to freak out, and they say, no, 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 no. The source of healing with this guy is not the Spirit of God, as you might think. The source of healing with this guy is demons. Now, this is kind of Jesus' hot button. We, we see this really quickly. Jesus does not like this conclusion. And it leads Jesus to call them a brood of vipers. That is a, that is a crazy insult I'm not sure I've ever used that one, but if you think about it, think about this. So Jesus is standing there. He does this work. He does not take any credit for this work, which is why when they credit that work to a demon, he attributes it to the Holy Spirit. Jesus right there just taught us a piece of theology, that he's not coming as the Son of God with all power to do something uniquely. In fact, he refers to himself as the Son of Man more than anything else. And as soon as he does a miracle, he connects it to the Spirit of God working through his life so that he levels the playing field for you and I. If he does it as God, it's super impressive, but that doesn't transfer to my life. If he does it as a man, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that just challenged me in the way that I should be living. And so a key piece of theology that we get out of this right away, as soon as he attributes that miracle to the Holy Spirit and says, hey, when you say that, what you're saying is that the, the, the lifeblood that flows through me that allows me to do this miracle is a demon. You're crediting that to the Holy Spirit. That is not okay with me. You can insult me, but you can't insult my Holy Spirit. I love that. He gets kind of angry. He's like, no, 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 no. You can insult me. You can't insult my wife, right? Like, you can insult me, you can't insult my Holy Spirit. But there's this thing. There's this thing that happens with Jesus in this moment where he says, 
It's, this is one of the keys to us living. We need to have an expectation that we live like Jesus because he refers to himself as the son of man. He's the one and displays for us what life will look like as we can completely yield to the Holy Spirit. And so the Pharisees say, that thing that's flowing through you, yeah, we're calling that a demonic spirit. And Jesus says, check this out, that thing that's flowing through you, I call that vicious venom. That's why he calls him a viper. What flows through snakes? Poisonous snakes. Venom. Poison. Things that come out of them and harm people and kill people and destroy people. And he says, yeah, you're calling the stuff that's in me demonic? No, 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 no. Actually, what's in you is venom. What you'll notice in this whole passage is that everything he talks about from here on out is what flows through you. What flows through you? Let's check it out. So there's a few different ways that this, this shows up. He starts talking about a good tree. Why does a good tree produce good fruit? It's because the life force that flows through a tree naturally produces good fruit. The same thing that happens with a bad tree. The viper, same thing. What's flowing through a snake? It's venom. It's harmful. It's destructive. What's flowing through Jesus? It's the spirit of the living God. What's flowing through the Pharisees? He calls them evil, and he says that the devil is running through them. And then at the end, he says, out of a person comes whatever's stored up inside of them. It's this same principle. Everything that Jesus is talking about right here is what's stored up inside of you. What's in that container? All of us need to have a vision for our life that we're all containers. We're all containers. And there's great spiritual stuff running through us, or there's not great spiritual stuff running through us. There's great things running through our minds, or there's not great things running through our minds. There's great things happening in our hearts and our emotions, or there's not great things happening through our heart and emotions. And whatever is going on with there, the, the body, the soul, the spirit, all of that stuff, that stuff comes out, and all of a sudden is how we are presented to the world. This is, like a, this is like a key to life moment that Jesus is teaching here. He goes, there's spiritual elements, but there's other elements too. You know, um, one of the things we did on the, on the way up to the retreat, not literally driving up, but leading up to the retreat, our whole retreat was about intimacy. And one of the things that, uh, that I had gotten in a habit of was every night I'd come home from work, you know, I'd go through, put the kids down, super tired. I lay on my bed and I watch an episode of The Good Wife. Anybody watch The Good Wife? It's pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> you and me. You didn't see this, but none of the other 150 people in here raised their hands. So. <laughs> it's just you and me here. Totally not the point. Pick your favorite show. Going up to the retreat, this wasn't something that I felt like was in my life that was like polluting my life, but I laid it down for the retreat because I wanted to take those moments and just pray and use it as a fast to the Lord and say, okay, like, Lord, leading up to this retreat, I just want to kind of like purify myself and totally dedicate my mind and heart to you. And I noticed that there was kind of this, this block, if you will, that was otherwise just almost channeled out inside of me that was contained with media. And again, I'm not putting a value judgment on it. I'm just saying that it was. And what happened when I didn't put media in that is it, it felt like it kind of drained and it had capacity for something else. 
And what happened is I had capacity for something else is I started to get really hungry for God again. And I feel like sometimes in our container, it's so full of other stuff. It's so full of the world news and the anger that I feel sometimes out of that or the fear, whatever your experience of the world news is. And then it's my favorite drama. And then it's my worries about work. And then it's my concerns about this thing over here. And the next thing you know, the entire container is filled with all of this stuff and the hunger of God is just kind of, it's kind of pushed out over here and we go, man, I'm so hungry to be hungry. Like for those, who, those of us who are going after God, man, I'm so hungry to be hungry. Why am I not hungry anymore? And God's like, it's because your t- container's really full with counterfeit things. Maybe not all of them are necessarily bad. Like, I'm not putting a value judgment on what those things are, right? Like, I think some of the things we put in our container are clearly not good things. But what Jesus is saying is kind of like input-output. You know, it's like we wonder why our container is filled with all this stuff, and then we wonder why the woman in Williams-Sonoma doesn't get healed. And when I was reading this, I'm like, God, I want my container to be so jam-packed filled with you that there's not room for anything else. That when I'm praying, there isn't part of my mind that's going, I wonder what those people behind us are thinking about this as I like lay my hands on this woman. Or I wonder, I hope this woman gets healed because that'll be really embarrassing if she doesn't. Right? Or whatever faithless, fearsome statement might be occupying a part of me. Jesus did not live like that. Can you imagine having no fear of man? having no fear of provision, having no fear of tomorrow, having no fear of anything, having no anxiety about anything. You're just freed up to love. You're a container that is completely packed full with God and his spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. The fruits of the Spirit are bursting from you because your container is filled with the Spirit of God. And I think for so long, I've been scared a little bit to challenge this church of like, can we look at the stuff that we're filling our containers with? Because I don't want to be the religious pastor that tells you not to watch R-rated movies or something like that. But it's killing us. It's killing us. We have the capacity to live so much higher than we do. And because we don't see it all around us, we drop the standard that Jesus gives us that's way up here down to the standard that we see. And we go, well, I guess nobody else is operating in this thing. So why would, you know, like, why would I? And then somebody in history breaks through and dares to actually live in this way. And revivals are breaking out in cities and thousands of people are getting saved. And like Acts chapter 2, 3,000 in a single day get saved because there's a group of people that are yielded to the Holy Spirit that finally get what God's given them as a gift and are serious about living in it. And we've talked about all of this stuff like how is a big move of God going to happen in our city that actually brings freedom to a massive scale? We've talked about entering politics. We've talked about entering education into the business realm, going onto campus with mission and purpose. All of that stuff does not matter if we're not filled with him. 
We do not have it in us to do anything as we enter our workplace. If it's not this overflow of life that's just chalking through our veins, where we've hung out with him in the quiet place, and we've renewed our mind to such an extent, meditating on scripture and the truth that he gives us, that we walk out and we're like overflowing wherever we go. You walk down the street and it's like you're dripping anointing off of you and people are like, what's going on with that person? There was this time when I was going to Jeff and Annette's church that I got really serious about this. And I was praying a ton and worshiping like my entire life. It was ridiculous. And I went to the gym and I was walking past this old dude and he stopped me and he said, you are like literally beaming with light. What is going on with you? I need to know. I need to know what's inside of you. And I felt like it was this moment of Jesus saying, he who has ears, let him hear. Right? Like I was walking past plenty of people who didn't see it, but there was one hungry guy in that in gym, and he saw something different on my life, and he's like, whatever's going on with you, I can feel joy bursting out of you. And the way that that happens is by what we're filling our container with. There's this there's this whole worldview thing that's pieced together in this, in this passage that I want to share with you. So I'll add some stuff, and then you'll see the parts where this is like right out of the scripture. So first of all, number one, God created the world, and it was excellent. God gives dominion over the earth to mankind, humankind, to take care of it, right? So the first part of Christian theology and what Jesus lives is that God created everything in the earth, and then he gave it to humans to steward and to take authority over. And he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion over the earth, name the animals, tend the garden, this is your playhouse, go nuts. <laughs> Number two, humankind turns away from God. And in so doing, empowers the adversary. The word Satan in the gospel that Jesus refers to here, it means adversary. It's used all over the Old Testament as well. But it, may, it means somebody who's coming against the will of God, the someone that, that's opposing him. And so as soon as he comes in and he starts having his influence on mankind, on humankind, we start to see that show up in the world. And do we not see that show up in the world? Yeah. This is like a key part of theology. Like we look around the earth and we go, it seems like the powers of darkness are running rampant on this earth. And there's a few things that you can conclude with that. There's a lot of different conclusions that you can come. The Christian worldview is that God created a perfect world. The enemy came in and had his influence, and somehow humankind turned away from God and started allowing the influence of the devil to work out on, on the earth that, that, that had been given to mankind by God. And so it's not God's active agent on the earth like making all these destructive things happen or the bad that's happening in the world. It's this evil force that we see Jesus talking about. And we talk about, we see Jesus in this passage talk about a strong man who's got this house full of goods. And he says, if you're going to go in and you're going to plunder the strong man's house, what do you have to do? You have to bind him up first. What is he talking about? He's talking about a world where the devil is running rampant. And he says, look around, look at all this stuff. Is this acceptable for you guys? Is it not clear what's going on here? And he says, 
if we're going to do anything with this, the first thing that we need to do is bind up the strong man. And so he's saying, like, clearly the will of God is not for this stuff to go on. Like, go bind up the strong man. Let me show you what that looks like. He heals someone. He casts out a devil. And so there's this thing where it's like, there's this active agent in the world who's ravaging the world, and we see his handprints and his fingerprints everywhere, and it's our job, as Jesus shows us, to hear, shows us here, where he comes back as a man, and he shows us what it looks like for us to undo the workers of the devil. That's your mission. That's your mission, should you choose to accept it. But I'll tell you what, what it requires is us getting really serious about what our containers are filled with. Your container does not get filled with good things for free. If you go on default, your container will be filled with bad things. Because the strong man's been running the house for a while. You look around and like some of these movies that I see trailers for, I'm like, my mind is blown. Could they be any more demonic? Like, there's this new one called Split, right? About this dude who's like a demonized personality. He's got a split personality and he like goes and tears things. It's, it's awful. And like hundreds of people, thousands of people go and sit in a theater and consume it. And just like fill the container with it. And then we wonder why stuff isn't going the way God would have it go. And so there's the overt stuff. But I'll tell you, we have to get fierce about this thing. This does not come for free. We have to get determined and fired up. And there was this thing I read this week. It was something completely innocuous in this book where it was like, it just said, you need to make going after God the one thing in your life over everything else. And it just hit me in a new way where I was like, oh my gosh, any areas of ambition are counter to the things of God. Any areas of self-promotion are counter to the things of God. The things that I see in me that are self selfish, those are counter to the things of God. And it's easy to get overwhelmed, but what it did was it made me drop to my knees and go like, God, I need you to come in. I need you to purify me. I need you to cleanse me out because you've given me a mission that matters to this world and I want to stand before you someday and have you go, you did great. Jesus showed the way and you followed him just like a disciple. But it gave me this fire to start to get serious about my own container. You know, when I was in college, you have so much time in college. <laughs> my gosh. You have so much time in college. Everyone, all college students think they're so busy. It's like... Ridiculous. I had, this, I had this thing where what I started to notice was that my friends that were operating in power and that were most joyful in life and most excited and faith-filled about the Lord were the ones that prayed like two hours a day. It was like, it was a perfect A-B test. You know, you're like, oh yeah, I know your prayer life. Wow, like that's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, I know your prayer life. I didn't mean to be pointing anywhere over in this direction. <laughs> but it, 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 what it did for me is there was this fire where I had this thing. I'm like, I'm going to pray an hour every morning, whether it kills me, because I want what's on the other side of that. At the time, prayer was not awesome. Prayer was kind of awful. 
but I was like, if I need to get good at this thing to operate in that kind of joy and that kind of power and that kind of love and that kind of passion, I will do this. And I didn't have words for it. I didn't know why fasting mattered. I didn't know why prayer mattered. I didn't know why worship mattered. But now what I see is I'm like, oh, got it. Like, fasting is a statement where even the things that I need, God, I need you more. Even the things that are good, like food that you've given me to enjoy, I need you more. And you provide more delight than those. And as a statement, I'm going to start fasting. And then prayer is this thing where you're like meditating on the things of God. And you're like, okay, God, show me what's going on in me. Show me, show me what's going on in the world. Show me what's going on in your kingdom. Show me whatever you want to show me. Fill my mind with the things of you. Fill my container with the things of you. And as soon as I started doing that, like I told you in that gym story, crazy stuff started happening. I started to get words of knowledge for people, and I gave this, this, these people words that they didn't know about themselves. And then I'd, I'd go and, and I'd feel compelled to pray for somebody, and they got healed. And I was like, this is awesome! This is a whole new life that I've been dreaming of having. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Somewhere along the line, the fire for filling my container like that, it just diminished a little bit. It just diminished a little bit. And over the last few weeks, it's been sparking again. And I'll tell you what, it's happening again. Suki and I were out on a date night the other night, and we were sitting next to this guy, and I just felt like this guy's family's in shambles. And so I turned to my wife on my date night. I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm going to do this. <laughs> She's used to it by now. And I turn over to this guy who's sitting next to us. I'm like, this is going to be a really awkward dinner if I'm wrong. And I said, can I pray for your family? And the guy was like, oh my gosh, like, yes, how did you know? My family's like not doing well right now. And we sat there and we talked for a minute and I told him about the will of God to restore his family and to bring him back into, you know, connection with God. And we sat there and we prayed. And then he's like, you know what? I don't think my job is actually something that God would be too fond of. It's like, I gotta think more about that. And it was this moment exactly like, uh, Who's the dude in the tree? Zacchaeus, right? Yeah, the little guy in the tree, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he? Jesus calls Zacchaeus down to the... He's a, he, the guy's totally caught in sin. He calls him down from the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm eating with you tonight. Before he does anything else, Zacchaeus says, I'm giving away 50% of what I own to the poor, and anybody that I've cheated, I'll, I'll give them back what they deserve. Right? Like this... This moment of catching somebody in the place that they are, honoring them by drawing near, and repentance happens. That's what it felt like with this guy. He's like, you know what? My job isn't what it should be. And I was just like, what other life would I want to be living? It's so scary because on the one hand, I don't want to be walking around my life all the time going like, oh no, do you want me to pray for that person? Oh no, do you want me to pray for that person? Oh no, what if I'm wrong? But on the other hand, the last thing that I want to do is go another 20 years and look back and be like, I know that there's a life possible like this on the other side. I've experienced it, and I'm not walking in it. There's no way. Line in the sand moment. No way. No way. And Jesus displayed perfect theology. He displayed the life that he has for us. And he said, like, believe it. This is the life in the Spirit. 
It doesn't come for free. It costs you everything. But it's so worth it. So there's two takeaways that I have for you from this verse, from, from these verses. There's different things that can dominate us by what's in our container. And I think there's a good moment for us right now, an opportunity to make a choice about what's going on with that container. And I won't call out all the things that it could be. What I'll do is I'll allow the Spirit of God to highlight to you what are some of the things that just are going on in our container that are leading us to be split where the Spirit of God can't dominate our life and run through it in full force. The vision that I'd like to give you to embrace is that whatever you're giving up, it may be hard to give up, but guess what you get? You get to have the very lifeblood of God flow through you. You get to walk in the things that Jesus walked in. There's a passage in the New Testament that's just crazy that says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What you get is Christ in you. And what you get with Christ in you is all other things. You get this life where you're filled with passion, where you're single-minded, where you see the things of God happening in your life, where you're full of faith, where you're not split anymore, there's no depression, there's all of that mixture stuff that you know is not what God would have for you. That's part of Christ in you. And it's also the hope of glory for the world. The reason why it's the hope of glory is because we get to operate in the way that Jesus operated, as he showed us what it looked like to look at, live like a person filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the invitation is like, let's get so serious, church, about what goes in our container. Let's get utterly serious about what goes in our container. When you, when you start to feel anxiety, go, nope, that doesn't belong in my container. Jesus, Prince of Peace, come in and instill those thoughts. When you sit down at your computer, there's a lot of things on the other side of that thing that don't belong in your container. And instead of just trying to go, no, I'm not going to do it, 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 no, I'm not going to go, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Shift from the thing that you're not supposed to do to the vision that you have. Oh, I want to walk in that life. Oh, let me, let, let me read the Gospels again. Let me, let me see what kind of life Jesus is living and go, yes, I want that life. I want to choose that it's not that you're choosing so much away from that necessarily is that you're choosing that. There's this thing that I always say, my dad taught me how to ski, and when you ski and you're looking for good snow, oftentimes you go into the trees. And when you're skiing through the trees, it's kind of dangerous because if you get, you know, if you whack into a tree, it hurts. <laughs> but what, what they teach you about skiing through the trees is that if you look at the trees as to not hit the trees, you'll ski right into it. But if you look at the hole in the trees, you'll ski right through it. And I feel like one of the keys to walking out of things that aren't, shouldn't belong in your container is you don't focus on the tree and go, I'm not going to hit it, I'm not going to hit it, I'm not going to hit it. 
You focus on the gap in the tree where you're looking to go, and you go, I'm going right there. I'm going right there. Blinders to those things. It doesn't even matter that they're there. And so ask the Holy Spirit to dominate you. Ask the Holy Spirit to utterly possess you. Jesus lived utterly, utterly possessed by the Holy Spirit. And the manifestation was all of this stuff in his life. There's this passage in Philippians chapter 4 that says, Fill your mind with those things that are good and that deserve praise, those things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and honorable. This is one of the keys to filling your container. Refuse to set your mind on things that aren't good and that are not deserving of praise. How many things would be eliminated just by that? Let's become crazy focused on filling our minds with things that are good and that are praiseworthy, that are true and noble, right, pure, lovely, honorable. I guarantee you that what you gaze upon, you will become. Whatever you gaze upon, you will start to look like. That's why worship is so powerful, because you look at the Lord and you're like, you're perfect. Your ways are perfect. You're kind. You're loving, etc. And you just fill your mind with those things, and then you walk out and you're like, I just naturally am those things in the world because I was just gazing upon the Lord. That's what we're going for. So worship team, come on up. What my coach here in the front row was just encouraging me to do, I, I like this idea, is I think there's a new resolve thing that needs to happen. There's a lot of us in this room that have been like, I'm fed up with where I am. I'm going to the deeper places in God. And I've seen that from somebody who doesn't even know God and has never experienced God all the way to the person that's been walking with God for a long time. But I feel like the Spirit of God is doing this thing where it's like, I need to go farther. But the hard part is, I don't know that I have any answers as to how. I feel like there's been people who have been feeling that as to like, I know I can't stay here. I know I need to go farther, but I don't know how. And so what I want to give is an invitation as the worship team starts to play, I want to give an invitation to come forward and get prayer. If you're in the place where you're like, I'm committing myself to filling myself with the things of God, to setting my mind apart as a holy temple unto him, to going after this thing where I'm utterly possessed by the Holy Spirit of God, that all of my life centers, I'm not saying, can you do it in your own strength? I'm saying you have the desire and your will is being activated to say, yes, I choose that. If it was about our own ability to walk it out, none of us would come up here. It's about our will. 
Our will is what chooses yes and no. Our, you, our will says I'm in or I'm out. And then, our, and, then, and then our strength or his strength comes behind that and supports it. And so this is a statement of faith that if you want it, it's not about your ability to do it. If you want it, I want you to come up and say, God, I'm wholly dedicated to you. When, when Paul calls the church the holy ones, the saints, what that literally means is a group set apart unto God for service and honor and glory. That's what I'm talking about. This is, I am setting my life apart and I'm getting serious about this thing in terms of what I put inside of me and what I focus upon and dwell upon. And God, I want to set myself fully aside to be a container for your spirit. So we're going to turn down the lights. We're going to start worship. And if you're in that place, just come up as you will and we'll start praying for you. I wanted to encourage, even if you just want to make that commitment and you don't necessarily need to get prayer, but you just want to make that commitment, God, I want to fill my container. I want to give you more space this year. Um, You feel free to stand over here, but if you actually do want prayer to get someone to partner with you, um, we'll have some people praying over here. But for some of you guys, maybe it's just a commitment with Jesus that you're like, man, I really, this year, I want to I commit to giving you more space in my container. Um, feel free to just do your business with the Lord and commit to that with him. And then we'll have some prayer people over here. Yeah. I'm going to, um, I'm just going to lead and open in prayer. For those of you guys who do just want to do business, and if you are in that place, even if you're in the audience, feel free to agree with me. Father God, We want to see good fruit in our heart and our life. We want to have space for you, Holy Spirit. And so even right now, Father, we just want to lay down all the places that take up room in our heart, in our spirit, in our soul, in our minds, thoughts, the things that we fill our mind with, Lord God, day to day, from the morning till night till we sleep. We want to lay down everything that is contaminating our tree, our pipe, our container, God. And we want to make room for you, Holy God, Holy Spirit, that you would be able to flow through us, that we would be able to live at newer, higher levels of surrender, God. We want to give you that. We want to commit to giving you that. Thank you, Lord. And just come up if you feel like you either need prayer or you just want to make that commitment to Jesus um, between you and him. It doesn't have to be with anyone else because he's here. Amen.